few of you are here. Um, boy, this is like a, a home Bible study. It's, it's okay. Uh, our attendance is down. I think it's sovereign because of, as you all know, the text I'm, I'm dealing with today. Uh, sensitive subjects is the, the title of my message this morning from Leviticus 12 and 15. And these are very delicate, very delicate matters. Um, the sorts of chapters in Leviticus that you're really tempted to skip. In fact, uh, last night, Ivan and I had this discussion about whether we should actually do these verses or not. And, and uh, I think she was trying to say, can we just, can we just like, like skip over these? And um, I don't know, I, I think in some regards, I just hold strong to the belief that God's Word is what works and that God's word is powerful, and we're going through Leviticus, and so let's, let's just not skip these. Let's deal with them, and I, I think this is okay that there are just a, a few of us here this morning. Uh, but it's difficult to, to talk about these things. One pastor I listened to in preparing my message said that these chapters contain things that ought not to be spoken of in public. Well, that's his opinion, but it is God's word, and I, I do believe that God's Word is, is worthy of our attention. It is okay to speak in public, but we need to do so delicately. And they should not be crude or offensive or overly explicit. Um, I thought about ways to be crude or offensive or overly explicit, but, um, but I, I, I was thinking of this time where I, I had a water bottle rocket and, and it, it went... If, if I'd be crude or offensive, that I would never live that down. Um, I can tell you later what I was thinking about doing. Yvonne and I were thinking about these things, just laughing and laughing and laughing in the car about what I, I could have done. But I'm, I'm not going to do so. I'm going to speak straightforward about these matters. Um, I want to be straightforward but sensitive. By the grace of God, I'll, I'll address it with discretion. I'm thankful for a wife that helps temper me on this. Well... We're looking this morning at things that happen when things come out of our bodies. That's maybe what we're, we're thinking about. And things that come out of your bodies are smelly, and they're slimy, and they're yucky. Okay? What are some things that come out of your bodies? Okay? Class participation time. What are some things that come out of your body? Okay, you're laughing over here, Nathan. Can you got one in mind? Audience participation. What comes out of your body? Yes, Ruthie. What comes out? Yeah, yeah, exactly right. That was a word I wasn't, I could have used, but I decided not to use that word. But a gas might be a better word for that one. Yes, yes. What else comes out of our body? Yuckies. Ooh, that goes in the toilet, right? Ooh, like throw up. Yeah, vomit. Exactly. Okay, that's good. All right, all right. This is good. Anything else? What else? What else comes out of our bodies? Okay, we got we got three young three three young boy four young boys here right here. Okay, you got to give me one. What comes out of your body? Sweat. Sweat. Okay, good. But we're talking here. What? You can say that. Okay, you get a pass on that. Drew, what do you got? Okay, what do you got? Okay, spit, that's a good one. Jared, you got to help us out. Huh? Sweat. Oh, come on, guys. I, I, I'm thinking about sneeze. Sneeze and snot. I'm thinking about boogers. Right? 
I'm thinking about urine and feces and pus. You know, seven and eight-year-old boys love to laugh at this sort of stuff. I know because I have a, an eight-year-old, seven-year-old. He's seven. A seven-year-old. And, and, and he just laughs and laughs and laughs whenever words like boogers or poop or gas come up. And he just laughs. And nothing is funnier to him than a whoopee cushion. I thought about bringing one, but I'm, I, I didn't. Okay, that's, But you can have it in your mind. But here's something. That was light, but there's nothing funny about the matters we're talking about this morning because we're talking about matters that make us unclean and unfit for judgment. I want to remind you that the first five chapters of Leviticus deal with the sacrifices that the Israelites were to offer, burnt grain, peace, sin, and guilt offerings. And the next five chapters, it comes from the perspective of the priests. How are the priests to administer those offerings and how they need to be holy before the Lord? And and this section we're in, 11 through 15, talks about just what's clean and unclean. And in many ways, Leviticus climaxes in chapter 16. So we're, we're 12 and 15 today. Next week will be 13 and 14. And then the week after that will be 16. And what I think is the climax of the book of Leviticus, the Day of Atonement. That single day of the year when the high priest enters the Holy of Holies to to atone for all the sins of Israel. Just this blanket sacrifice that that covers everything, that like washes us all clean. It's a little bit like rain in uh, in California. Uh, When when I was in seminary, I was in Los Angeles and uh, it's in the the master seminaries in the San Fernando Valley. And uh, they kept talking about valley. And and I remember talking to someone who lived there and I said, why, why do they call this a valley? I mean, to me, it just looked like Illinois in some regards. It's just flat as could be. And the guy says, oh, we live in a valley. I'm like, okay. And then it got to be maybe November, December. It rained. And I was there from August, September, October. There's no rain out there. And then it came November and it rained. And all of a sudden, I was driving to school one day and I was like, whoa, there are mountains right there. I didn't know that. You, couldn't, you can't see two miles because of all the smog and, and muck. But that's what the Day of Atonement is like. It's like when the, when the rain comes down and flushes it all out and we're clean. And that climax comes in chapter 16. But leading up to that day, we need to understand why we're unclean. And that's Leviticus chapters 11 through 15. These are sorts that make Israel unacceptable for worship. But eating the wrong things like we saw last week. Or touching a dead animal like we saw last week. Or... Having a skin disease, which we'll see next week in chapter 13, or having things that come out of your body, like in 12 and 15 today. And and when you're unclean, you're unfit for worship. As Psalm 24 says, who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? And who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul what is false, and does not swear deceitfully. And in some measure, right, being clean and unclean is all a matter of coming before the Lord in worship, right? Look at verse 3 again, right? Who shall ascend to the hill of the Lord? Well, you've got to be clean. You've got to have clean hands and a pure heart. And if you don't have clean hands and a pure heart, you cannot go into the presence of God because you're, you're unclean. And in fact, open your Bibles to Leviticus. We're, I, I want to start this morning with chapter 15. Close to the end of that chapter, Leviticus 15, verse 31. 
where it says this, Thus, you shall keep the people of Israel separate from their uncleanness, lest they die in their uncleanness by defiling my tabernacle, which is in their midst. So, in, in other words, these chapters are all about taking unclean people and keeping them clean apart from their uncleanness so that they might not defile the tabernacle, meaning to go into the presence of God it's in an unclean way, so that they might live and not die. And in fact, one of the things that I hope you see this morning from chapters 12 to 15 is, is how deep your uncleanness is. Just how deep your uncleanness is. Because it goes deep. Theologians like to say that we are sinners by nature and sinners by choice. There's much emphasis in the Bible given to that second one. We're sinners by choice. We're sinners by the things that we do. Right? There's a lot in the Bible. But there is some as well about how we are sinners by nature. Psalm 51, I think it's verse 4. David says, I was brought forth in iniquity. It's not, not that the, the act of his conception was sin, but he was, he was just brought into the world of iniquity. He himself, being human, was brought there into sin. And we're going to see that this morning. We're, we're going to see this morning by simply being human and experiencing many of the natural things that all humans face, as they get older particularly, makes you unclean before the Lord. See, entering God's presence isn't about merely what we do or don't do, sins of omission or sins of commission. But entering into God's presence is also about who we are as human beings before God. Because we are human and God is divine. And we as human have some things about us that defile us that we just can't go into God's presence because He's so different from us and so much holier than we are. And there are times through no fault of our own, through things that just, as our process of our body, we're unclean to enter His presence. Even if it's not sin, still we're, we're unclean to enter His presence. And, and I remember last Sunday in our small group, right, we went over these passages, went over these chapters, and, and, and I remember how stunned we were just with our impurity. Just of how we are. Maybe I was stunned. I'm not sure if you felt that, Adriana. You were there. We're just, we're just stunned at how impure we are. That our, our nature is just distinct from God's. We can't, can't approach Him on our own. Because our humanness disqualifies us before the Lord. And, and, and my prayer this morning is that we would see the depth of our uncleanness before the Lord. That that then Jesus, on the, the contrary, would we'd see the height of his, of his sacrifice. That it's not merely just that he, he died for the things that we do, but he also died to redeem our fallen nature as well. Cleansing us at the cross. Let, let's pray. Father, I pray that even now you might sink deep in us and God give us a, a heart to see and a mind to understand, God, just how deep our depravity goes. And how deep is our uncleanness. God, I know how uncomfortable it is to be sitting next to someone who's smelly or has B.O. And yet, 
Yet, God, we are in many ways like that before You. And You have brought to mind the ways that make us unclean God, through, through no fault of our own. And You have showed us ways in which to be clean. And the Old Testament is by waiting and sacrifice. And for us today, of course, it's through the cross of Jesus Christ. I pray that You might touch us in a, in a way similar to how we were touched last Sunday night. Just the depth of our sin and the, the glories of the grace of the Gospel in Jesus Christ. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, in chapter 1, we're going to see how uncleanness comes from childbirth. I just want to read the chapter. My first point, chapter 12. I'm going to turn back there a few pages. Chapter 12, I want to read through this. talking about being unclean after childbirth. Again, something comes out of you. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the people of Israel, saying, If a woman conceives and bears a male child, and then she shall be unclean for seven days. As at the time of her menstruation, she shall be unclean. And on the eighth day, the flesh of his foreskin shall be circumcised. Then she shall continue for 33 days in the blood of her purifying. She shall not touch anything holy, nor come into the sanctuary until the days of her purifying are completed. But if she bears a female child, then she shall be unclean two weeks as in her menstruation. And she shall continue in the blood of her purifying for 66 days. And when the days of her purifying are completed, whether for a son or for a daughter, she shall bring to the priest at the entrance of the tent of meeting a lamb, a year old, for a burnt offering, and a pigeon or a turtle dove for a sin offering. And he shall offer it before the Lord to make atonement for her. Then she shall be clean from the flow of her blood. This is the law for her who bears a child, either male or female. And if she cannot afford a lamb, then she shall take two turtle doves or two pigeons one for a burnt offering and the other for a sin offering. And the priest shall make atonement for her and she shall be clean. Now again, having children is not sinful. God commanded, Genesis 1:28, be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth. That was before the fall to Adam and Eve and also then to Noah in Genesis 9, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. And walking in obedience to God, being fruitful, multiplying, filling the earth is not sin. It cannot be sin. The act that leads to conception is not sinful provided it's done in the bounds of matrimony. Carrying a child for, for nine months is not sinful, but having a child, giving birth, makes you unclean. And for a Jewish woman, of course, she couldn't enter worship if she was unclean. And there are two things. You need time and sacrifice. For a boy, the time of impurity is, is 40 days. And for a girl, the impurity is 80 days. The boy, it's seven days, then circumcision, then another 33 days. And for a girl, it's 14 days, two weeks, and another 66 days. And when the days are completed, offerings need to be made. A a burnt offering or a a sin offering and a sin offering. And there's there's a question at this point. Why the difference between a boy and a girl? Why is the boy only 40 days and the girl 80 days? Well, there's lots of thoughts on that. Um, We don't know. There's nothing explicit in the Bible about that, so I'll just say we don't know. Another question, why why a sin offering? If having a child isn't sinful, why then offering a burnt offering and a sin offering? Because even it says in verse 7, he shall offer it, the priest is, before the Lord to make atonement for her. 
has she sinned in some way or, or what is this? And so why a, why a sin offering? Why a burnt offering if that's for atonement? Well, I think the explanation has to do with the, the process that brings forth blood and lots of it. Last week I talked about how childbirth is bloody and messy. How many of you here in the room know? few of you here in the room know. But lots what it is. It's blood all around. And since the life of the flesh is in the blood... You're just unclean as you discharge all that blood. And so for every woman in Israel, it was their lot after birth, unclean for 40 or 80 days. Now, that is not true of us today. In fact, I know many women after giving birth are in church the next Sunday. Some really quick and some wait for a few weeks, but I don't. some may have waited 40 days. I don't know of any woman in our church here at Kishwaukee Bible Church we started this church from. I, I can't remember anybody being gone for 80 days. We don't, we don't need to do this. Okay? It's, not, it's not sinful because Christ has, has cleansed and purified that is what we can say. Now, being out for 40 or 80 days wasn't so unbearable. You remember when Jesus was born? Mary and Joseph followed these instructions to a T. Luke 2.21 reads, At the end of eight days he was circumcised. Right, seven days, circumcised the eighth day, then another 33. And Luke 2.22 says, When the time came for purification, purification according to the law of Moses, we're talking about Leviticus 12, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. By, by the way, as we go through Leviticus, you'll, you'll see more and more that I hope these things kind of come alive to you more. Like when he's talking about a sin offering and a burnt offering, you can remember, oh yeah, I remember the burnt offering's totally consumed and the, the sin offering can be various degrees depending upon... What we can afford. And you remember, Mary and Joseph offered two turtle doves or two pigeons or two birds, two small birds, because they couldn't afford a lamb. They were poor people. But it was important that Mary and Joseph did actually come to the temple because Jesus was born under the law. They followed the law exactly. And, and Galatians chapter 4, verse 4 says, When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, that he might redeem those who are under the law. In other words, Jesus was subject to the law of God, and he did everything that the law of God required him to do. And, and as Mary and Joseph followed the law in Leviticus 12, Jesus, even before he could do anything, was still subject to the law, and he, and he kept it perfectly. And it's important. If he didn't keep the law perfectly, then his sacrifice wasn't sufficient for all our sins, because the whole point is that Jesus did keep the law for us in our place, and he was the perfect man. It's an interesting verse in uh, Matthew chapter 12 that speaks about how Jesus talking about John the Baptist. He says, the, the, the law and the prophets, they prophesied, or the prophets and the law prophesied. The law prophesied. And you say, how is it? I, I thought the law legislated and the prophets prophesied. But there it's the law prophesied. How did it prophesy? Prophesied this perfect man and what it means to be perfect. And Jesus Christ was that man who was perfect. He kept the law in every way and died as our sinless substitute. He, he kept the law that we could never keep. It's Romans 8, 3 and 4 just describes that. It says, For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do, by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin, he condemns sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of a law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. See, when Jesus died, he did what we could never do in the law. He kept it perfectly. He was the righteous requirement of it. And he fulfilled Leviticus 12 perfectly. 
Let's move on to chapter 15. Now, this chapter has similar themes. That's why we're taking this chapter together again. Bodily functions. And uh, here it's going to get a little more delicate. Um, but we will, we will read. We've seen uh, the uncleanness for childbirth. And now we see the uncleanness for men. Verses 1 through 18. I just want to begin reading and I'll interrupt and comment along the way. The Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron saying, Speak to the people of Israel and say to them, When a man has a discharge from his body, his discharge is unclean. And this is the law of his uncleanness for a discharge, whether his body runs with his discharge or his body is blocked up by his discharge. It is, it is his uncleanness. And he's talking about his body being plugged up. It's a euphemism for his private parts. It's a discharge of his private parts. The exact designation or description of what this is is difficult. Most commentators identify as gonorrhea. Uh, I think that's what the Septuagint said. 200, 300 years before Christ, so it was gonorrhea, just a sexually transmitted disease that comes here. And they were around back then. People were afflicted by that. And when one was unclean, everything was unclean. Just listen, verse 4 and following, how unclean everything is about him and, and everything he touches. Verse 4, every bed on which the one with a discharge lies shall be unclean. And everything on which he sits shall be unclean. And anyone who touches his bed shall wash his clothes and bathe himself in water and be unclean until the evening. And whoever sits on anything on which the one with the discharge has sat shall wash his clothes and bathe himself in water and be unclean until evening. And whoever touches the body of the one with the discharge shall wash his clothes and bathe himself in water and be unclean until the evening. And if the one with the discharge spits on someone who is clean... Then he shall wash his clothes and bathe himself in water and be unclean until evening. And any saddle on which the one has a discharge ride shall be unclean. And whoever touches anything that was under him shall be unclean until evening. And whoever carries such things shall wash his clothes and bathe himself in water and be unclean until the evening. Anyone whom the one with a discharge touches without having rinsed his hands in water shall wash his clothes and bathe himself in water and be unclean until evening. And an earthenware vessel that the one with the discharge touches shall be broken and every vessel of wood shall be rinsed in water. And when the one with the discharge is cleansed of his discharge, then he shall count for himself seven days. You see a lot of counting in this chapter, by the way. Seven days for his cleansing and wash his clothes. And he shall bathe his body in fresh water and be clean. And on the eighth day, he shall take two turtle doves or two pigeons and come before the Lord to the entrance of the tent of meeting and give them to the priest. And the priest shall use them, one for a sin offering and the other for a burnt offering. And the priest shall make atonement for him before the Lord for his discharge. His bed is unclean. His chairs are unclean. Anyone who touches his bed is unclean. Anyone who sits where he sat is unclean. Anyone who touches him is unclean. If he spits on somebody, they're unclean. Even the dishes are unclean. You know, this man is a little bit like Midas in reverse. You remember who Midas is, right, kids? What happens with Midas? Everything he touches turns to gold. It's a problem, right? He starts turning everything to gold. And, but that's Midas. He got the Midas touch. But so likewise, this man, everything he touches turns not to gold but turns sour. So in order to keep him from touching anything, he certainly would have to have his own room and nobody go in and nobody go out just to protect everybody. 
Certainly such a man would not be fit for worship. And, and I don't care how nice a man is. I don't care how giving this man was. I don't, I don't care how much he knew the Bible. Maybe he had his disease before he really came to a knowledge of Christ, a knowledge of God. He was a true God follower. If he had this disease, infection, he was, he was unclean. Couldn't be cleansed. He couldn't be among God's people for he would pollute them all. I mean, you think about someone like that coming into the presence of other people. Everybody whose hands he shook becomes unclean or in the ancient eat, right? Everyone he hugs or gives a holy kiss, they, they become unclean and it just starts, starts spreading around. He, he can't go into God's presence with people. He alone, he was, he was an outcast. But there was hope. Did you see it? Right, right there in verse 13, right? When the one with a discharge is cleansed, then, he, then he's counting seven days, bathing himself, offering the sin and burnt offering similar to chapter 12. Then he'd be clean. He could come into the presence of the Lord. And, and in fact, even of, of, of all these things, you see how much hope there was. If someone, if someone touches this person, they're unclean, but they wash and then they're clean in the evening. They're only unclean until the, the evening comes. And, and they can touch him. So this guy's still unclean, but if you touch him, you're like, oh man, I've got to go and I've got to wait. And then I, I get cleansed after I, I wash myself. Just some time and sacrifice is always what it takes. But there's hope for all these, right? In, in chapter 12, the birth of a child. The woman had hope for cleansing, but she had to wait 40 days or 80 days until she was cleansed to offer up the sacrifice. With this sexual disease, it took maybe seven days and a few sacrifices. But then, then there's hope of cleansing. And even in the case of marital relations, uncleanness was there, but it was only until evening. Look at 16. If a man has an emission of semen, he shall bathe his whole body in water and be unclean until evening. And every garment and every skin on which the semen comes shall be washed with water and be unclean until evening. If a man lies with a woman, has an emission of semen, both of them shall bathe themselves in water and be unclean until evening. Now note here that this didn't require sacrifice. This just required a, a bath. But there's hope of being cleansed. You know, church family, I, I just say this, that we have a, we have a better hope. For Israel... They had to wait until evening, or they had to wait seven days, or they had to, to wait 40 or 80 days until they could be in the presence of God. But we don't need to wait. We're clean in Jesus, washed completely from our iniquity and from our uncleanness. Right? 1 Corinthians 6, 9-11 Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, but what? You were washed. And there it is. You're washed. You, you were sanctified. Sanctified is you were made holy. You were, you were cleansed. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. And when were you washed? You're washed when, when God did a regenerating work in your soul. You were washed when you believed. That's what Titus 3.5 says. He saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His mercy, by the washing of regeneration and, and renewing by the Holy Spirit. See, in Jesus, we, we get this bath, this, this cleansing. We are, are pure vessels in God's hand. And, and I, don't, I don't care what disease you have. I, I, don't, I don't care if there's a sexually transmitted disease in you. 
If you believe and trust in Jesus, you can be cleansed today, right now. You don't need to depart from us because you're unclean. Oh, I'm unclean. I've got to go out. You can be with us. Because Jesus has made you clean if, if you but believe. and Just believe and trust in the cleansing of Christ. Before we move on, I just want to want to comment on a few things here of chapter 15. Look at verse 11. Anyone with whom the discharge touches without having rinsed his hands in water shall wash his clothes and bathe himself in water, be unclean until evening. This is perhaps where the Pharisees, remember in Matthew chapter 15 where they, and Mark 7, where they would, would, would bathe their hands, right? Ceremonially wash their hands. And only then would they eat to make sure that they were ceremonially clean. And it could be that they did this because as they mixed with the Gentiles, many of whom may have been unclean, but if they're unclean, they just mixed with everybody. Mixed with, lest you get unclean, they would wash their hands ceremonially and then they would eat. And they got all over Jesus for not washing his hands. That's what we looked at last week. He declared all foods clean because it's not what goes into you that follows you because that just goes in and goes out. But it's from within, out of the heart and or even this part about being with a, a woman in 16 through 18. I, I was just, I've been trying to listen through the Bible as fast as I can. And so in my, my study this week, I was listening through 1 Samuel, uh, I think it's 21, where, when David is, is coming in to, he's, on, he's, he's running from Saul, and, and, and he comes to the priest at Nob, and uh, <clears throat> he says, We're hungry. Can you give us some bread? And I pick it up in 1 Samuel 21, 3. What do you have on hand? Give me the five loaves of bread or whatever's here. And the priest answered David, I have no common bread on hand, but there's holy bread if the young men have kept themselves from women. And David said to the priest, Truly women have been kept from us. As always when I go on an expedition, the vessels of the young men are holy even when it's an ordinary journey. How much more today? Will their vessels be holy? So the priest gave him the holy bread. But you see, there's this, this idea of, of being unclean. Right? Marital relations, 16 through 18. And, 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 and you'll find as you read through the Scriptures, so this stuff will come up. And, and I hope it just gives you a better, richer, deeper background to everything that's happening here. Because for them, this was their culture. For us, it's not. And it helps us to understand all right, well, let's move on. We've seen uncleanness for childbirth, for men, and now we move on, thirdly, for women. I want to pick it up in verse 19 and, and read. And I'm going to read from the NIV because it's a little bit more sensitive with the, the language. So it says this, When a woman has a regular flow of blood, the impurity of her monthly period will last seven days. And anyone who touches her will be unclean until evening. Anything she lies on during her period will be unclean. And anything she sits on will be unclean. And anyone who touches her bed will be unclean. They must wash their clothes and bathe with water. And then they will be unclean until evening. Anyone who touches anything she sits on will be unclean. And they must wash their clothes and bathe with water. And they will be unclean until evening. Whether it is in the bed for anything or anything she was sitting on. When anyone touches it, they'll be unclean until evening. If a man has sexual relations with her and her monthly flow touches him, he will be unclean for seven days. And any bed he lies on will be unclean. When a woman has a discharge of blood for many days at a time, other than her monthly period, or has a discharge that continues beyond her period, she'll be unclean as long as the discharge 
just as in the days of her period. And any bed she lies on while her discharge continues will be unclean, as in her bed during a monthly period. And anything she sits on will be unclean, as during a monthly period. Anyone who touches them will be unclean. They must wash their clothes and bathe with water, and they will be unclean until evening. And when she is cleansed from her discharge, she must count off seven days. And after that, she will be ceremonially clean. And on the eighth day, she must take two doves or two young pigeons and bring them to the priest at the entrance of the tent of meeting. And the priest is to sacrifice one for a sin offering and the other for a burnt offering. In this way, he will make atonement for her before the Lord for the uncleanness of her discharge. <sighs> Through that. Think of the realities, all right? Women in Israel, unclean a week every month. Confined to the room, prohibited to worship. No Sunday school attendance awards for them. So they're missing every fourth Sunday. I mean, can you imagine missing that just kind of on a regular basis? No, I can't go. Just can't go. It's not because of sin. It's because of our bodies and how God made women. There's just something about us which makes us unclean before the Lord. And again, it's not because of sin. It's because of who we are. It's the uncleanness of our flesh. It's just, just we, we, can't, we can't get there because of, of who we are. I mean, it's almost like Say a, say a young boy wants to go to an R-rated movie. You just can't. You can't get in because your, your age requirement is not there. Well, you know what? Probably today they, they probably could. Or, or how about this? You try to ride a roller coaster, right? But you're only 36 inches tall and you need to be 42 inches tall. There's nothing wrong with being 36 inches tall and not 42 inches tall, but you just can't go on the ride because it's not safe. And so likewise, we just, we just can't enter. In, there, there's something about us that disqualifies us, not because of sin or anything, but just because we are unclean in our flesh. But here's the good news this morning. The, the healing touch of Jesus makes all well. This past summer, I met Jamie Page for the first time. He was here two weeks ago. In my absence, and whenever I meet a pastor or even talk with other pastors I know, a question that I, not always, I often ask, because I like to ask, is, so what are you preaching on? What are you preaching on? And the reason I do that is, um, is because, it, first of all, it gives me insight into his ministry. You know, whether it's just a topical thing or whether it's an exposition thing or expositional topical. kind of. But secondly, more importantly, it gives me like encouragement, because I know if that's what he's thinking about, right, gems and pearls are going to string off his mouth. Anyway, I asked Jamie what he's preaching on. I can't remember what he's preaching on. Oh, yeah, yeah, he was, he was preaching on unwanted, like sinners in the Old Testament, like Moses wanted for murder, right? Or, or, or other people, uh, David wanted for adultery, or uh, just people in the Old Testament who were sinful, wanted, but yet found cleansing. That's what he was preaching on. And then he, he asked me, and that was the summer, so I was preaching on the Psalms. And I said, but I'm preparing to preach through Leviticus. And um, look at first response. Oh, Leviticus. I love Leviticus. He says, chapter 15 is my favorite chapter in all the Bible. And I said, oh, no, no. I, I, right away I corrected him. I said, um, 
No, no, no. You mean uh, Leviticus 16, right? He said, no, no, Leviticus 15. I said, no, 16 is the day of atonement, right? It's the peak of Leviticus, right? I mean, that's what I'm excited to preach on in two weeks. The, the peak of, of everything, the, the day of atonement. And, and uh, he said, no, 15. I said, 15, that's kind of yucky, right? And he said, yes, but that's exactly it. And then he proceeded to give me a five-minute mini-sermon that he preached two weeks ago in the message. He says, don't let Pastor Steve know about this. But I, of course, listened to the message and was encouraged by it. Called him last week and just thanked him for preaching. It was a wonderful message he did. Um, We're going to take a little bit longer than five minutes, not a lot longer. I'm going to finish my message this morning there. So turn over to chapter five. Just want to flush out everything that Jamie said. He said, I'm going to steal Steve's thunder. And he did, but the thunder was coming from him anyway. But we would have come here because this is the whole issue of this woman with a flow of blood making her unclean for 12 years. We, we begin in verse 24. The context, of course, is Jesus came back again to the other side of the sea. Jairus came to him. His daughter was sick. And so he said, oh, my daughter's sick. Come and lay hands on her to, to cleanse her. And so he went with him and and as he was going, we pick it up. Verse 24, he went with him and a great crowd followed him and and thronged about him. Okay, so so picture yourself in a a giant um, sports event, right? We've gone through the turnstiles and everyone's kind of walking along. Everyone's filing out after the game. Crowds of people just around you, just mobbing you, going someplace. And uh, then we read, that's, that's 24, 25, and there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years. That's her third point, right? This is the, the discharge which is making her unclean. And uh, <clears throat> when I think about this woman in light of Leviticus 15, 12 years. 12 years of isolation. 12 years of uncleanness. 12 years of being a shut-in. Now, we don't know how old she was. My guess is middle age. It's one thing to be shut in when you're 80. It's another thing to be shut in when you're 25. But she was shut in. 12 years of everything she touches becomes unclean. And according to verse 26, we see that it was 12 years of suffering. This woman had suffered much under the physicians and had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. Twelve years of going broke. She went to doctor after doctor after doctor, every doctor she knew, and none of them could solve her problem, but all of them could take her money. Verse 27, she heard the reports about Jesus, came up behind Him in a crowd and just touched, just touched His garment. Just touched His garment. Again, you think about Leviticus 15. Because of her medical condition, she'd been banished from home, not, not permissible for her to go out. And where she sat was unclean, anything touched would be unclean. Certainly, being kept inside for 12 years gives you a shame about things. Maybe that explains why she came up behind Jesus. As opposed to Jairus, verse 22, it fell down at his feet. You almost, you almost get a sense that he just went right in front of his path and fell right down at the feet of Jesus. Right? He was a ruler of the synagogue. No reason for him to be ashamed. He, he confronted him right to his face. But this woman came 
from behind as she touched his garments. This is like, you got to catch this, this is like a, an AIDS victim spitting in the face of a nurse. Because according to law, she was going to make him unclean. And her reasoning comes in verse 28. She said, probably to herself, certainly, she was thinking, if I touch even his garments, I will be made well. That sounds pretty superstitious to me. I mean, if I just touch it, I'll be made well, right? I'll go to the shrine of Mary, and if I pray there, or if I, if I drink this particular water, or if I make this trek, something good's going to happen. But if I just touch just his garments, I'll be made well. Well, I, I think that she had heard of these reports. Right? Verse 27 speaks about she'd heard the reports of Jesus. So this wasn't groundless. She had some basis. Mark chapter 1, verse 30 speaks about how Jesus touched Peter's mother-in-law and she was cured of her fever. In Mark 1, verse 41, which we'll look at next week, Jesus touched the leper and he was made clean. So she had some basis for her touch theology. But she also had a lot of faith. So we're going to see Jesus commending her for her faith. Faith that Jesus would heal her. Faith that Jesus wouldn't turn on her. And faith that the crowds then wouldn't turn on her for defiling this precious rabbi. Her plan worked. Verse 29, And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, I'm sorry, verse 29, yeah, immediately the flow of blood dried up. And she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. Great power of Jesus. And this woman was healed. Jesus did what no physician could do. And Jesus did it without even realizing it. Because you see that in verse 30, when when Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, who touched my garments? I mean, here's the healing power. He didn't even know who he healed. Where the doctors focusing their attention upon this woman could not heal her. He wasn't trying even to heal this woman. He's kind of, kind of walking along, touch it, Ooh, power goes out. I just healed somebody. Who would I heal? Verse 31, the disciples were mocking him. They said, you see the crowd pressing around you say, who touched me? Okay, so picture yourself back in that, that large stadium when you're ushering out or in with all this crowd around you. <laughs> Jesus said, who touched me? About 30 people touched you. Jesus was determined, though. He looked around to see who'd done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told the whole truth. Can can you imagine the story, she says? She says, Jesus, I've been suffering. I've been bleeding for 12 years. I've gone to every doctor I know, but none, none can heal me. I've been shut up, cut up from the public. I can't go shopping. I can't see my friends. I can't even clean my home because everything I try to clean becomes unclean. So I've been cut off from worship. It's been 12 years since I've been in the synagogue. I desperately want to be with the people of God, but I can't. And then I heard that you were passing by. And I'd heard about you, that you heal fevers, and you heal leprosy, and you heal, you heal paralytics, and you heal uh, men with withered hands. And you cast demons. A legion of demons. I heard that rumor about you right from, from um, across the sea. And I thought to myself, he can heal me. I just need to, to touch him. Oh, Jesus, I know I'm unclean. I'm not worthy to go in your presence. 
I'm not even sure I should come in your presence. I'm not even worthy to to receive your touch. That's why I touched you, just the, the fringe of your garment. And God healed me. I know he did. I can feel the blood of flow stop and praise be to God. Thank you, Jesus. And Jesus said to her, a report probably would have been like that because it says here in 33 that she told him the whole truth, the whole story. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. I do believe this little exchange here was for her. Jesus commending her faith because it's the faith that that healed her, made her well, she'd been healed. But I think it's also important for the crowd because, like I said, right, an AIDS patient spitting into the nurse would, would receive mocking and scoring. You touched the rabbi? And Jesus said, it's all well. She's not made me clean. I have made her clean. Which, by the way, is contrary to how it always works. Isn't it the, isn't it the polluted that defiles the clean? I mean, you take a, a glass of water and a few drops of cyanide becomes lethal. Or throw a little dirt in there and you can't, right? It's, it's not the water that purifies the dirt. The dirt scuffs up the water. I mean, that, that's just how, how sin is. It's, it, it's, when, when righteous people around sinners, often it's the righteous that get pulled down. Bad company corrupts good morals. It's not wise to be a companion of fools because companion of fools suffers harm. But... It had worked the opposite way this time. It, the, the unclean touched the clean and the clean sanctified the unclean. And we'll see that especially next week as we look at the, the lepers. But I, I just say this as I, as I close. The application for us this morning is this. Are you, are you trusting in the healing power of Jesus? I mean, Jesus has cleansed us from these things. We're not under the, the bondage of a childbirth. Got to wait all these Days, people with AIDS can come into Rock Valley Bible Church and and well worship with us. Marital intimacy doesn't defile you, and so likewise here with a woman, a monthly cycle doesn't defile us. But but what about our sin? Do you believe and trust that Christ has the authority and ability to? cleanse you from your sin. Again, I remind you, the whole purpose of these laws, Leviticus 15.31, right at the end of the chapter, thus you shall keep the people of Israel separate from their uncleanness, lest they die in their uncleanness by defiling my tabernacle that is in their midst. Jesus is the one who takes away our defilement. He's the one that makes us clean. He's the one to whom everything in Leviticus points. The cross in the midst of the fiery holiness purifying agent of God. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for <clears throat> these chapters that give us insight into your word. And Lord, I would pray God, that you would show great grace to us to help us to understand your word in a greater way than ever before. That we would... Hold your word as precious, even the difficult parts, even the delicate parts, even the sensitive parts. Help us to see the depth of our sin and the glories of our Savior. That's all all I can ask for as we think about going from this place today. pray in Jesus' name. Amen.